0: Times Like Now is an interview program. Interviews with interesting people doing cool stuff. My name is Trevor Collins, and past episodes of the program can be found wherever you get your podcasts. I am nearing my one-year anniversary. Please do contact me, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. William Shakespeare. He created many of the common words and phrases that we use today. In fact, you may be quoting the Bard right now and not even know it. My guest today is Will Hamlin, author and professor of graduate studies at Washington State University. He's written extensively on William Shakespeare, and he joins me today on Times Like Now. Hello, Will. Thank you so much for joining me this evening on the program.
1: Hello, Trevor. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, a fan of Shakespeare since I was forced to read The Man's Works in, in school. And uh, you, though, have taken a special liking to William Shakespeare and his work. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into the William Shakespeare business, so to speak, because you've published books, written books and essays about William Shakespeare's work. How did you get down this road? And when?
1: Well, I, like most American kids, I took uh, English classes in high school where we read a bit of Shakespeare and it left very little impression on me. I also acted in a Shakespeare play in high school, as you like it, but again, it was it was nothing um, particularly remarkable. It didn't stand out for me as more interesting than other uh, novels, plays, poetry, etc. Uh, in college, I majored in philosophy and so i wasn't an english major but i did take one or two english classes and then after college uh, i was a journalist in vermont and i found increasingly that in my spare time i liked to go back and read the plays of shakespeare one of the college classes i'd taken was a, a shakespeare class and so i i bought copies of macbeth and king lear and Othello and The Winter's Tale and so on when I was living in Vermont and I read them again and again. And after a few years, I uh, decided this must mean something. And I applied to graduate school and I was accepted. And uh, I earned a PhD in English with a specialty in English Renaissance literature. That's the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, And my primary emphasis was drama and, above all, Shakespeare. So that's how it happened. And I've been a professor now for 32 years since I completed my Ph.D. back in
0: 1989. Now, what do you think it is or was about his work in particular that fascinated you and obviously so many people, because 450 years later, uh, he is still the most published uh, playwright, over 4 billion copies, I think I read, since his death. What was it that for you?
1: Well, when people ask me this question, um, I usually divide it into several parts. Um, People first encountering Shakespeare are interested in the stories, the plots, the narratives, uh, and they're very good. They're they're not really original with Shakespeare. He usually borrowed the plots of other people. Um, But once you know those storylines, you're free to concentrate on other things. And the, the other two crucial elements of Shakespeare, in my opinion, are his characterizations of people and his use of language. Uh, The characterizations are always good, and sometimes they're brilliant. There are characters like Falstaff and Shylock and Hamlet and Macbeth and Cleopatra and Rosalind and so on. And they're just so well drawn. They're so fully uh, fleshed out. And the way he does this, of course, is through language, because in a play... There is no description apart from what people say. That's the, the total of what you get when you encounter a Shakespearean play is people talking. So the, um, the use of language is, is vivid. It's inventive. It's original. Uh, Shakespeare is always making up words and phrases and so on. And it's sometimes uh, amazingly powerful. It's astonishing in places. And I think finally, that's what I love about Shakespeare the most is the power of his language. It's just, it's so authentic and he's so uh, freed from uh, relying on cliches and on uh, formulaic ways of expressing himself. He, he, He creates his own verbal universe. So that for me is above all what I love about Shakespeare.
0: Yeah, there's so many phrases and words. I mean, I, I've been looking them up and there are more than than we could discuss here. But a few that people obviously will have heard is too much of a good thing. Uh, Your own flesh and blood. Um, it's all that glitters isn't gold. Break the ice on and on and on all of these where you could be using his phrases and not even, I'm sure most people don't even know that. Um, So one question I was curious, how many works did he write essays or uh, uh, small plays and full, full fledged?
1: Well, that's, that's a debated matter. He, in 1623, seven years after his death, uh, some of his fellow actors, because he was also an actor. So a couple of his, fellow actors published a collection of 36 plays, which they attributed to Shakespeare. Uh, Since then, two other plays have also been generally accepted as uh, as either entirely or largely by Shakespeare. So that brings the total to 38. And uh, so there's some other plays he may have had a hand in. There was a lot of collaborating in writing plays. And then on top of that he wrote some narrative poems, the uh, Venus and Adonis, the rape of Lucrece. He wrote 154 sonnets, which are short poems, and a, and a handful of other poems as well. There are no he didn't write novels or or prose works or essays, nothing like that. Just just poems and plays. That's what he what he did
0: sure what was the first one
1: um well again we we don't know because they they were sort of haphazard in in being published if a play was really successful on stage there was a reason to keep it from being published um but some of his earliest plays uh that, that are most people think are among the first are um Love's Labor's Lost, The Two Gentlemen of Verona, Titus Andronicus, Henry VI, Parts 1, 2, and 3. Um, it's it's almost impossible to, to say which was first, but those are some of the very earliest ones.
0: So, yeah, so that was another question. So we don't have a, a chronological because I was going to ask, can you see progress or change over his... his time well yeah you can
1: absolutely even without an absolutely perfect chronology uh we know for example that a play like macbeth or the tempest or the winter's tale is late we know that it came much later than some of those earlier ones i just mentioned etc so we have a rough chronology that everyone agrees on and the the tendency is away from histories toward tragedies toward romances um, so there are more comedies and more histories early on and more tragedies and more uh, romances which is a kind of subcategory of comedy uh, these are these tend to be the later plays so I hope that
0: now you have um that does that does help um so you have written a uh, uh, numerous books one in particular that i was looking over and i was going to ask you what is this book about because i have not read it but for anyone who might want to read more of your work entitled shakespeare european renaissance literature tragedies and skepticism of shakespeare's england what is the what is your point and what is your, I guess, overall overarching of that? Yeah, book?
1: the the title is actually Tragedy and Skepticism in Shakespeare's England. And the, the first part of what you read is the series that it comes in. So that is um, it's about skepticism, which is an ancient Greek philosophical phenomenon, um, questioning everything, accepting nothing at face value. Uh, it's an epistemological orientation, uh, f- sort of characterized by questions like, what do we know? How do we know what we know? Are there reasonable grounds for doubting things that people say they know or that they believe, etc.?" And this was well developed by a, a number of thinkers in ancient Greece. And then it sort of Died away and then was rediscovered in the 16th century, translated into Latin from Greek and eventually translated into English. And there, it ex, skepticism of this sort experienced a certain vogue in Shakespeare's time. And although Shakespeare himself was not college educated like Marlowe and Bacon and some of his contemporaries, um. These, these kinds of issues were sort of swirling around in the air. People were talking about them. And so Shakespeare, who lived in London, would have heard about these things. So my, so my book is basically about uh, the resurgence of skeptical thinking at the time of Shakespeare, but it's not limited to Shakespeare. I write about other playwrights like Christopher Marlowe and John Webster and Thomas Kidd. And, and others. So that's what that book is about: skeptical thinking in the plays of Shakespeare and others at that time.
0: Sure, the the questioning uh, that Shakespeare's ra- characters did, yeah, etc. Um, question: um, Did he have influences? You said that he did, but what were some of the influences that? are well-known or maybe lesser known that he borrowed from, because you said earlier that, you know, he borrowed things, but I think he maybe made them better, uh, obviously. Who were some of his influences? Well, he
1: loved Ovid, the Roman poet Ovid, who uh, wrote, he he sort of compiled the various Greco-Roman myths and wrote a book called The Metamorphoses. Shakespeare loved that book. He read a lot of Plutarch, who was an ancient historian who wrote lives of famous people like Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. And um, as you know, Shakespeare wrote plays on Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra and so on. And so he read Plutarch's biographies of these famous um, rulers and military figures in antiquity. Uh, that's how he got his material and his plots for those plays. And then um, among more recent writers, he read Montaigne, the French essayist. He read Marlowe, the playwright who was his contemporary. He read. He probably knew about Machiavelli. Um, he read the English historians Hollinshed and Hall, who wrote accounts of the English kings and queens. Um, back into the 12th and 13th and 14th and 15th centuries the wars of the roses and all of that that's where shakespeare got the plots and the material for king henry the 4th and henry the 5th and richard the 3rd and so on so those are a few there are others but those are among the most um, important sources for shakespeare
0: okay now this is one that I, I know this is not maybe your specialty or, or maybe you do have some insight into this, but if was he popular at his time and were his plays famous or popular at the time? And if so, there's no physical record of them. I'm curious why we have so much question about who he was as far as identifying his person. We don't have paintings or illustration of the man and and his works aren't around is that correct i mean there's so little evidence of him
1: yeah there's um i see what you're asking there there's actually more evidence about shakespeare than about most of the playwrights at his time there, there's another one named ben jonson we know more about ben jonson because he was very egotistical and wrote a lot about himself and there was a woman playwright named Elizabeth Carey, and we, she was um, an aristocrat, and her daughter, one of her daughters, wrote a biography of her. And so about those two people, we know even more than we know about Shakespeare. But um, there's quite a bit of uh, miscellaneous information about Shakespeare. To answer your, the first part of your question, yes, he, his plays were popular. We have records of Multiple performances of some of them. Um, Hamlet was popular. Titus Andronicus was very popular. The the plays with Falstaff, um, which are Henry the Fourth, Parts One and Two, and the Merry Wives of Windsor, they they were popular plays. Um, and then small quarto editions. This is a smaller book format uh, of some of his plays were published right at the time. With his name on them, as were his um, poems—the ones I mentioned earlier, *Venus and Adonis* and *The Rape of Lucrece*—they're published in the 1590s. Um, Shakespeare writes dedications to uh, well-known aristocratic uh, sponsors, and there, you know, his name is all over the book and the plays too. And then, after his death, as I mentioned, the two other actors published the big collection of 36 plays, the first folio, and they spoke a great deal about Shakespeare. And Ben Jonson, who I just mentioned, wrote a poem in that collection of 36 plays talking about Shakespeare. He knew Shakespeare. He, uh, he loved him. He thought he was a tremendously talented person, etc. So um, there's a whole lot of Miscellaneous evidence about Shakespeare. and so the um the claims that <laughs> that he didn't write the plays because there's no evidence that he did are ridiculous. and the claims that a commoner who didn't go to college uh, couldn't write important plays and brilliant brilliantly inventive plays again, it's absurd. I mean, uh, look at. Mark Twain and Herman Melville in our country, they wrote some of the greatest American novels. They didn't go to college. Jane Austen wrote some of the best novels ever. She didn't go to college. There are people who just have, you know, astonishing gifts and imagination, and they don't have to go to Italy to write about Italy, and they don't have to be in the king's palace to imagine what it's like to be in the king's palace. You know what I'm saying? There's imagination uh supplies those needs. So um I'm I'm very uh on un, unsympathetic to the arguments that Shakespeare is not the author of the plays which are universally attributed to Shakespeare. Sure.
0: Right. That's I mean clearly that's your side of, of the fence and, and I'm not here to, to discuss that at any length. I just wanted to to clear the air and and find out how you felt about that, and you know, you seem like the the expert or the uh, the uh, resource to ask. So uh, again, back to Shakespeare's influence upon modern film, theater, uh, literature, and whatnot. Uh, in particular, in film, a lot of his work has been adapted to to films. Are you a fan of any of these films in particular that you like some of the translations to film or to the visual?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of lots of them. And I, I frequently show clips of five or 10 minutes to my students from a great many different Shakespeare films. Um, You want to hear some of the ones I like or what?
0: Well, yes, absolutely. Some that would stand out as uh, some of your favorites.
1: Yeah. I, i I think the um, I think there are two really good productions of Macbeth and I've, I also have high hopes for a new one that's coming out uh, later this fall, probably around Christmas with Denzel Washington playing Macbeth. I can't wait to see that but the two that i that I know and recommend are um, one is with Patrick Stewart playing Macbeth. It's about 10 years old, and what's remarkable about this particular production is that it keeps virtually the whole play. Usually film versions uh, cut a great deal of the play, but this one uh, really is, is faithful to the script, and Patrick Stewart does a fantastic job playing Macbeth.
0: Let's hear just a bit of Patrick Stewart as Macbeth tomorrow
2: and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays of Lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out. Out. Brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing.
1: You can feel the anguish of that that man who knows he has uh, damned himself by his crimes, but never uh, deludes himself into thinking anything other than. Um, he ha- he has completely destroyed his life, and then an earlier version back from the early '70s. Uh, it was directed by uh, Roman Polanski, actually, and I can't remember the names of the actors, but I've always liked it. I saw it when I was fairly young, uh, in my teens, I think, and um, I I really like that, and it's visually. Uh, very evocative of medieval Scotland, so I um, I would recommend that David Tennant's version of Hamlet, which is also about eight or ten years old, is fantastic. It's heavily cut because Hamlet is a very long play, uh, and it, they sort of cut out a lot of the political stuff and keep it more um, focused on family relations. And one way to look at Hamlet is as the the destruction of two families, the family of Hamlet and the family of Ophelia and Laertes. Um, And I think that particular film with David Tennant as Hamlet is brilliant. It it really works well. And um, I love the old Romeo and Juliet by Zeffirelli. And I like the later one with uh, Claire Danes and, Leonardo DiCaprio. A lot of people dislike that intensely, but I I quite like it. So those are a few that I would recommend. There are many, have you many ever
0: other- have you ever seen? And now this was a play, and then a movie uh, based on Hamlet. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's by Tom Stoppard.
0: Right. I read, I've read
1: uh, the play and yeah, I've i I've seen it. Not recently.
0: Right. Uh Richard Dreyfus and Gary Oldman, one of my favorites, uh, very unique. I, I thought that was a, a great way to approach that material uh mm-hmm. when Hamlet is on screen, they take from from the play. So have here's a question because I recently went, well, two years ago now, to London and went to the Globe, to the New Globe. Have you ever been to the Globe in London to see a Shakespeare play.
1: Yeah, I've seen about five or six plays at the Globe.
0: Okay. Now, Will, you have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, written quite a bit about William Shakespeare. You have something new coming out in the new year. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: Sure. Um, my, I have a secondary interest in the French writer Montaigne, who lived in the 16th century and he, he's basically the inventor of the essay. And Shakespeare clearly read some of Montaigne because he he lifts a few passages here and there from the essays of Montaigne. Uh, notably in a play called The Tempest, he takes about 15 lines from Montaigne. Montaigne was a very thoughtful man. He wrote about just about every topic you can imagine, and so this book is, it's not, a, it's not a single authored book like my other books. This one is a, a co-edited book with uh, another American scholar and a scholar in, in England. And we've invited 21 other people to um, contribute chapters to this book. They all have written a chapter. We've written introductions And uh, the entire book has been in the workings for about five or six years, and it's coming out right at the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Uh, It's just called Shakespeare and Montaigne. It's not a a particularly imaginative title, but it's it's a serviceable, utilitarian title just to tell people what this book is about. It's being published by Edinburgh University Press in Scotland. And it should be um, easily available through Amazon and Waterstones and Barnes and Noble and other major booksellers.
0: That's fantastic. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, you're University of Washington. Are you still teaching there actively now?
1: No, I, that's where I earned my Ph.D. at the University of Washington. I I teach at Washington State University in Pullman.
0: Okay, okay. I. Thank you once again in this last few uh, last minute or so, Where would people find your past works? Do you have a page upon a platform that you recommend?
1: Uh, no, i don't I don't do a lot of um, sort of advertising. Uh, the books are available through Amazon, and uh, I have a web page at the English Department at Washington State. Uh but that's about the the only way to <laughs> to learn more about me is through through my department site. Well,
0: I thank you once again for uh joining me and for uh educating me about uh the who and the where and the likeness of William Shakespeare. Thank you again.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome, Trevor. Thank you.
0: And have a good night.
1: Okay, you too.
0: Past episodes of Times Like Now can be heard wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the letter J. Cody Robertson for original music. I am approaching my one-year anniversary, and I would love to hear from you. I can be reached trevor at timeslikenow.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to speaking with you all next time.